Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good afternoon and good evening and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive Podcast. It's me, Chris Howard from Lace Partners. Thank you, lovely listener, for joining us as always on this Thursday. If you're listening to us on a Thursday when we actually release or whatever day of the week, you can listen to this podcast whenever you like. Today's podcast I'm really excited for, actually, because I had a chat with my guest today a few weeks ago. And at the end of it, I almost said, I think we've just done the podcast and we're just going to have to repeat ourselves because we sort of put the world to right. And uh, I'll introduce him now. It's Barry Hoffman, who is a uh, experienced NED, one of our uh, friends and partners actual experience. He's also got background as a CPO for some very large businesses, including Landsec most recently. Barry, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. And when, when you say lovely listener, I just check in. There's more than one, isn't there? Yeah, <laughs> we do. We do have about 2,000. So, Fantastic. you know, it's not too bad. Not too That's bad. Very good. That's very, not too shabby. Not too shabby. So I, like I said right at the beginning, I really wanted to get you on because when we had that chat, I thought, oh, we could put the world to rights on a few things. So I've jotted down a few bits, which I've obviously sent across. And that's what we're going to do today, just for the next sort of 25 minutes or so. But before we do that, I mean, I did a a, a really poor job of introing and giving your background. <laughs> so you can put a little bit more colour on it if that's all right. So could you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So I started out life not in HR. I did uh, I did a degree in French and German. I worked for the German embassy for a bit. Then I went to Volkswagen Group and was there for 14 years doing all sorts of different things. Ended up running IT in the UK and didn't really like that. So decided I'd do an MBA. And that's really what got me into HR. From there, pretty much the rest of my career was, was HR. And after I left Volkswagen, I did a little bit in the public sector, which I, I would never repeat. That was enough for me. Thank you very much. And after that, joined a consultancy to run HR, then went to Computer Centre to be the group HR director, where I was for 11 years. So that was a chunky kind of organisation. I think now about 20,000 people. It was about 17,000 when I was there across 14 countries. So I led a reasonable size HR function. I, At the end of that, I'd done a lot of travelling. At the end of that, I was a bit tired and wanted to sort of ease out of things. And so I got qualified as a company secretary because I thought I'd do more board governance type work and left sort of thinking I would just relax a bit. But then was asked to join Landsec where it was anything but relaxing because we had a change of CEO, then CFO, then a pandemic. Then I really was exhausted and decided not to work anymore in in a full-time corporate executive role. And so I'm now portfolio. So I'm on four different boards and do some advisory work as well with a search firm and absolutely loving it. Lovely, lovely. Well, that's one of my first questions actually was going to be, if you think back over your career, is there anything that particularly sticks out that you enjoyed the most part of the different roles that you've had? Or is there anything you would particularly think, do you know what, I'm really, really proud of that particular sort of moment in my life? So I've, I've always really enjoyed HR. I think that for me, it's I see it as the power behind the throne. So I'm quite happy being sort of in the shadows, being on the the right hand of the CEO and helping and supporting and thinking about change, thinking about the future for me is quite exciting. I like the ability to go really deep, really quickly with people. 
when you're in HR, I think you can, you've got license to talk to people about some really personal, deep stuff really quickly. You don't need to, there's, you have a bit of a license, a mandate to do that. And I find that very rewarding as well. It might sound a bit strange, but I do. I, I just find that you can, you can forge a connection with somebody very quickly at a, at a quite a deep level. In terms of what I'm most proud of, I think the most difficult thing that I've ever had to do in my career really was around the DNI agenda when I was at Computer Centre. It was a time where, hard to imagine, I know, but DNI wasn't really a thing. Yeah. You know, this is probably early 2000s. And companies saw it as a bit of a fad or a fashion. It was all, you know, the, you'd have affinity groups, you'd have networks, and, and it was all lanyards and cupcakes and no real action. It was just posters and slogans, and that wasn't really achieving anything. So bringing the agenda into Computer Centre was a very difficult thing. It took two, three, four years to really get traction. And I'm really proud of what we did. And we we built a whole load of activity, which has really flourished since. And they're very strong on early careers, very strong on providing community for different networks, for different groups in the organisation. It has a very strong culture. And I think it's a very balanced management team and board. And a lot of that was ignited by the work that my teams did when yeah. I was there. So. Yeah, I'm really proud of that. How difficult a task was that? I'm just thinking in terms of bringing people on the journey. Like, was that one of the biggest challenges? Was bringing yes. people on that journey? Yes. So, Computer Center is a business that was founded back in 1985, and the original founders are still on the board, and the chief executive's been there for over 35 years. So, you have quite a strong founder mentality, and the business had been incredibly successful getting. To when I joined 2008, I think it was about two and a half billion turnover. When I left, it was five and a half, six billion. It's at seven or eight billion now. And there was definitely the opportunity for somebody to say, well, it's it's worked really well up until now. Why are you trying to tell me to do it, you know, to do it differently? We've built a two, three, four billion pound business without messing about with all this diversity nonsense. Why, why would I do that now? Why would I change that? Yeah. And so it was a it was quite a challenging context to be able to bring in something new without trashing the heritage and the legacy that was already there to incrementally drive that kind of acceptance of the world is changing things are a bit different we need to embrace this stuff it's what people want it will deliver better performance it will deliver a, a culture where people want to stay and want to work not that they hadn't before because they had i mean it was it was an incredible place to work and i really enjoyed working there a lot but it was it was a difficult thing to broach to people who felt that they were doing a good job already why would they need to change yeah change is certainly uh something that uh particularly the type of culture and business that you're working with can obviously be one of the biggest issues barriers that organizations face particularly when they're steeped in so much history and legacy i guess i want to move on to kind of fast forward to recent years actually and, and just get your view on kind of evolution of the cpo and your thoughts from that perspective because i remember when we talked about this just before when we were talking about doing a podcast you had some quite interesting views around how the role has changed and where the focus perhaps five years ago or three years ago is, is so so very different to maybe not three years ago because that was when we hit covid and the pandemic and life changed as it was but just kind of reflect if that's all right to the pre-pandemic and then how you think 
the role of the CPO has evolved, that'd be really good to get your thoughts. Sure. I really think there's some good bits and there's some less good bits. I think that pre-pandemic, the role of the CPO was fairly conventional. Over the course of the last three or four years, undoubtedly, a couple of things have happened. One is the focus on well-being, not least of all because of the pandemic, but the employee voice has grown stronger through the pandemic, through the crisis and it is a crisis of mental health in the UK in addition to which there have been political and geopolitical events where employees have an opinion and that's brought into the workplace right from George Floyd through Sarah Everard and, and you know subsequent events and employees feel they need to respond to it and I think if you go back 20 or 30 years employers would be saying well that's nothing to do with us just get on with your job and mm. that's just not an option now because people feel, experience the world and bring that into the workplace and the employers have to have a perspective and a point of view and an answer sometimes for, for what's going on outside. And, and I think that the role of the CPO has to embrace all of that, which is quite challenging, really, because you might have yeah. to opine on something you really don't have an opinion on or have an opinion which doesn't actually suit the the kind of the wider employee base. So that's definitely changed. The other thing that's happened is the role of the CPO has had other things lumped into it. When I was at Landsec, because I qualified as a co-sec, I had HR, the company secretariat, and I had a bit of IT as well, because that kind of covered some of the things I've done in my career. So I was given those bits to to lead. Lots of CPOs have got sustainability in their role and um, bits of other things as well, sometimes internal comms. Then there's some questions as to whether something should be in or out. So I think the, the lines are a bit blurred around the CPO role. Um, there's a core which doesn't really change, but I do think that the role has to show a lot more empathy corporately than it ever did. I think that's challenging. Sometimes yes. companies don't put their money where their mouth is. You know, sometimes they, there's a narrative, but actually there's nothing to back it up. That's yeah. where it becomes quite difficult. So, yeah, it's, I think the, the role has, has definitely broadened. It's got more things in it, slightly different perspective. It's lots of people have said that it's come sort of up the priority list when it, you know, because of COVID, it was really front and centre, you know, big spotlight on HR, you know, you're the people person, let's look after all the people. I think that's true. But I think in particularly in bigger organisations, actually, and in smaller ones as well, HR's, good HR has always been front and centre, it's always been really important tactically and strategically yeah well um, i was going to ask you actually I've, I've just written this down maybe a provocative statement or not do you think hr or the role of the cpo do you think the cpo has more power now than maybe three five years ago in terms of their influence and their voice within a business within the business no i don't think so i think really good cpos were always super powerful power behind the throne and that yeah. I think if you if you were good 25 years ago, you were powerful. And if you're good today, you are. If you're not good, then no, you probably don't have any influence. I mean, it's, it's more influence than power, to be honest. Um, yes. Yeah. Sorry. I was being but, deliberately kind of yeah. provocative of that uh, um, use of language. But actually, I want to ask you, um, I was going to ask you this towards the end. I know we talked about this just before we went live. But you recently obviously put out, you put out a tweet, which I'm not a tweet, a LinkedIn post, which I thought was quite fascinating. And it, this broadens your, what you've just said in terms of the, the role of the CPO becoming a little bit more all-encompassing. In your 
piece that you did a couple of weeks ago, you talked about how ESG is more part of the CPO sort of remit. And you said in it, obviously, it's sometimes it's sector dependent and, you know, HR can add value by focusing on the talent and using data to deeply understand how people experience the workplace. Can you just broaden out some thoughts around that? Because I thought it was a really, really interesting post. And particularly mm. with this idea that you've just mentioned, the role of the CPO becoming a little bit more wide ranging. I sound really wise, don't I, in that post? <laughs> <laughs> if only I could remember what I wrote. Yeah, I think that it, lots of CPOs do get ESG. And I think I think you have to be a bit careful about it because in some sectors, that makes sense because the S bit really does fit with HR. So, you, you know, it's about social mobility it's about community it's about outreach there's all sorts of things that fit with with the hr portfolio but in some sectors the s isn't the only bit the the e and the g are really quite technical Mm. so if you're in construction or utilities there's something where it demands a really high degree of technical intervention the environmental bit it probably doesn't, you can't just lump it in with HR. You probably need some really specialists. I mean, if you're doing mining or something, I don't know. I mean, it's like, it's really technical stuff. I'm not sure that somebody who's come up through HR would necessarily be the right person to to do that. And, and actually, if it was strategically materially important to your organisation, would you, would you give it to somebody who's already got another job? Would you not have that as a separate function in your organization similarly the g in main listed businesses that are maybe have got a dual listing you know new york and and uk or something you, you wouldn't give corporate governance to to hr unless they were qualified to do that as a you know an experience as a cosec or a gc it, it normally you it would be separate so i think we have to be a bit careful about sort of just lobbing it over to HR and and it isn't just recycling spoons and doing a bit of you know recycling laptops it, it, it's it's much more complex than that and it's a slight hangover I think from organizations who want to do something whatever that something is not really understanding it and looking around the exec table going well your sales is not sales your marketing it's not marketing it's clearly not you know, finance, who else are we going to give it to? I'll just give it to HR. They'll sort it out. They, mm. they do really well at Christmas parties. They can sort that out. <laughs> and, and that's not, that's not what we do, not in the, not in large organisations. It just doesn't work like that. So I think you've got to be a bit careful with what you give to HR. And, and the challenge is lots of people in HR are naturally, give it to me, I'll sort it out. They might have facilities. Problem they solvers. might, yeah, they might, you know, they are, can do problem solving. Let me sort it out. You know, this is just knocking a few heads together. We'll get it done type people. And so when something crops up that is a bit sort of, well, we don't really know what this is. We'll, we'll just give it to someone who can do it. It, it will often fall at the, at the feet of HR. So yeah, needs a bit of careful thought. Yeah, I, I, th- I think this is a really interesting topic because you know, a few years ago, I don't want to put a specific date on it. You say the word ESG and people are going, what? And, and it feels like for some entities, it's almost like a tick box exercise. Oh, you know, we should be doing something around this because everyone else is. And I guess that rings to your point, which is sitting around a board table and saying we should be doing this. But ultimately, 
you need to go back to the well why are you doing this what what benefit yeah. is this having to the business or to society at large or to, to our employees etc cetera, etc cetera. and it so needs to no, be more thought out yeah there's no doubt that there are organizations that lead with with esg particularly e who have a massive impact on the environment whether that's an airline a construction company real estate business mining business i mean they have material physical impact on on the environment those organizations largely do it really well they're really thoughtful about it they've got teams of experts on it great then there are other businesses that try and shoehorn what is clearly a marketing ploy into the the esg bracket to make them look like they're sustainable and the word sustainable now is i wish i'd kind of copyrighted it because <laughs> i could have made some money out it, it's so overused it's annoying at times yeah. but you know that it's up to all of us to kind of figure out whether you believe what is what you're being told and whether you think it's truly sustainable and holding organizations to account for the right things so a company like bp or shell or british airways or whoever you know that has a really big impact on the environment you kind of need to be looking at the annual report and making sure that you're holding them to account for the right things and not really focusing on whether they've got recyclable spoons in the canteen or or yeah. you know th those sorts of things and that that's the sort of thing that we need to be thinking of it's a really complicated thing and more than just the tick box exercise one of the things actually that i wanted to i'm just going to move us on just slightly because we were there we're talking about you know how much of this how much involvement does hr have in something like esg let's not just have it as something that i guess as you said just chucked over the fence over at that side because you know nobody else is willing to to take hold of it i want to talk about experience and obviously you you're a non-exec director actual experience and i want to talk specifically around employee experience, but digital employee experience as well. Yeah. And this is interesting because we ran an event in March and we got a host of CPOs around the table. And one of the central premise questions or debates that we had was, well, who actually owns the digital employee experience? There were some interesting views that came out, but I just wanted to get your kind of thoughts around that. Like who owns that? Who owns DEX, if you call it, if you call it that? Well, that's view. that's a really difficult question. Not least that's why I asked it. Lots of <laughs> well, lots of people don't even realise it's a thing to start with. So you you're you're you just joined a company, and you're really excited because you had a great interview. You you know you've had four interviews, four different people you've got through. You've got an offer. You, you've had a pay rise off the, you know based on the last job you had. So you're all looking really good. And then you get onboarded. And some of the onboarding stuff will work because it's slick. So you're going to get an email that tells you some stuff. You get some logins. You get a, you might have get a laptop or something arrived. All good. Great. That's pretty transactional. That's a transactional bit of the experience. And sometimes it works really well. And often you hear people say, well, I was there two and a half weeks before I got a laptop or a phone or something. And so it was a bit of a disaster. That's a bit like payroll, really. I mean, it's, you know, it's a transactional thing. And if, if you invested it it should work it's not very complicated really the bit that then happens is my experience of work and on a physical basis that's the culture that's the people i work with the team that i'm in it might be the food in the canteen and the 
type of desk that I've got and all that kind of stuff. But there's also this digital experience, which I don't think many people think about. We complain about it when it doesn't work, but there's this, how much friction is there when I'm trying to do my job? Can I actually log on and log in and open the windows that I need to open, get into the systems that I need to get into? Do the systems all talk to one another? Do they work really seamlessly together? What does it feel like? Does, do I have to you know, copy and paste loads of stuff or, or are things integrated? It's how working with the in the digital environment works for me. And part of that is not just all of the kit and the systems and the processes of the organization, but actually my own environment. So the digital experience is when I go into the office, whether that's a, an office, a regional hub, might be the a room in a warehouse, it might be a back room in a, in a store if you're in retail, whatever the office is, I mean, it, it's the, you know, the work environment, is everything there that I need? And having worked internationally for a long time, I really experienced this because I'd go to a computer centre office in London and I'd be able to plug in and everything. And I'd go to one in, say, Budapest or Berlin or wherever. Wi-Fi is the same. Don't need to do Wi-Fi passwords or anything like that. It would just lift the lid on the laptop and it just all worked. Everything worked. And all the chargers were there that I needed. I didn't need to bring a charger and an adapter and everything was, everything just worked. And that's the digital experience. You've got the added complexity now that that's at home too. So what's my digital experience at home? Because I have a home Wi-Fi that work doesn't have anything to do with. Does that work? Does that give me everything I need? And do I have the, the desk and space to work? Which, of course, some people don't. So who owns all of that is a really big question. And actually, it's a partnership between the CPO and the CIO or CTO or IT director, whatever you want to call it the it director hr director together they need to come together and, and be in partnership and own this because it's the two of them but also it's the ceo because the ceo sets the tone and the culture for the organization does the ceo yeah. care how difficult it is and especially if you have a very diverse workforce where people come from different social backgrounds you may be working from a home location you may be working from you know the passenger seat of your car you may be working from a train station a hotel or anywhere and the digital experience needs to be seamless otherwise people get massively pissed off when they leave you go back to the gallup q12 which is i don't know what's 40 50 year old piece of research whatever i mean one of the first questions is do i have the tools for my job little did they know when they asked that question all that time ago they that it would relate to the digital environment because it flipping well does because we all know how incredibly frustrating it is when stuff doesn't work so it's a really long answer to your question but i think it's no, a no. Part partnership between hr and it yeah i think that's a that's a really really good way of looking at it and one of the things that we've just run is a campaign around redefining workforce productivity so this whole idea about you know productivity is very archaic sort of term and it's about sort of performance but when you were talking about the digital tools and do they all integrate and things like that I started to think well really it's everyone around the board's table to be concerned about this if you're concerned about how productive are we like are we as productive as we can be as a business because if if we work within an organization and you're losing x number of minutes hours per day or per week or per year and you you start to amplify that out then 
if you start running the numbers on processes that don't work, if the digital employee experience doesn't work, whether it's your hybrid or whether you're it's in the office and you amplify out all of those hours and those minutes that can be lost mm. because you've got people that are frustrated, when you can share, if you're able to capture and quantify that level of data and, and show that back to a board and say, look, how much productivity we're losing because we haven't got our experience right it's going to have a big impact isn't it mm. if you go back to the harvard service profit chain heskett's service profit chain which is you know a very long-standing valid piece of research we all know happy employees make happy customers make profit i'm paraphrasing a bit but that's that's the service profit chain and all companies pretty much focus on the customer experience they're all obsessed by making apps and digital experience and all the rest of it. I think 90% of the customer, the companies get it wrong. I, I've never, I've never met anybody who loves phoning up, getting IVR, who loves pressing their mobile phone thing, saying one for this and two for that. And I'm sorry, yeah. we, we, you know, we're experiencing long delays because of COVID, which was three flipping years ago. Nobody likes that. And yet organizations persist in doing it, but organizations do think about the the customer experience they've they're you know rightly obsessed with creating apps creating websites to do to to do simple tasks and it, you see endless references to ai and automation and but nobody thinks about the employee experience no nope. and and so they've kind of started the service service profit chain halfway through because they've kind of gone well we'll we'll make the customers happy well actually you need to make the employees happy and then the customers will be happy it, it, i think it's kind of causal in lots of lots of respects and so it doesn't matter whether you're driving a bus or or working on a sewage plant or whatever you need to have a really positive experience of work in general and that includes a digital experience and boards who are particularly focused on inclusion and they should be because we we're all trying to be more inclusive you need to think about in the context of the digital environment because some people cannot afford to have a house that's got a separate room where they can have, a, have it as a study to work they might not be able to have peace and quiet because they're working, you know, they've got one room and they've got kids who need to do homework or whatever. They may not have the ability to spend £100 a month on Wi-Fi or whatever it happens to be. So I think it's a necessity, digital experience, and people need to think about it more and boards need to think about it. Yeah, I definitely think you're spot on. And we've been talking about that a lot internally. We're going to be running a campaign around experience, but but particularly that link. We're going to make some, uh, obviously, we'll be talking about the links between, you know, getting EX and employee experience and getting that customer experience. You know, they need to be intrinsically linked, really. You need to be recognising that if you spend all of this effort getting your customer experience right, if you do the same with your employee experience, if you apply the same principles, then, you know, it's going to lead to more productivity. It leads to more product uh, profitability. It's, it's just kind of, it's simple, really, isn't it? We are almost out of time i wanted to shoehorn one final question in for you you've talked about a lot about your career and interesting things that you had and things that you're proud of if you could go back in time if you can get in a delorean and speak to your younger self when you first entered into hr what would you tell yourself i, I wrote a post about this Did loads i didn't know i didn't see that yeah. post, so. Lo loads of things i would i would say if i pick the most important one don't, don't write an email when you're cross just don't write it, sleep on it, delete it. 
pick up the phone. Not doing that has got me into trouble more, on more than one occasion. So that would be the thing. If I was going to listen to my own advice, that would be that would be the thing. But yeah, I did. I wrote a post about it. I wrote about ten different things where I said, you know, this is what this is what I would tell my younger self. In HR, you got to be confidential, right? And that's yeah. so don't tell anyone when when yeah. someone says to you, just don't tell. If you tell someone it's not confidential. So confidential means not telling another living soul. And yeah. it always amazes me when somebody says, look, this is confidential, but go, well, it's not, is it? You just told me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we carry we carry secrets. We carry people's fears and hopes. We carry stuff around uh, about people's personal lives. That's deeply, deeply personal, emotional stuff. And if they tell you something in confidence, I, I figure it's like being a doctor. You just you don't tell anyone; it's confidential. So yeah. that's the other bit of advice to anyone who's in HR. I would I would say confidential means don't tell anyone. The HR Hippocratic Oath. Yeah, that kind of thing. So yeah, yeah. but yeah, you check check out my post on LinkedIn. You'll see there's there's some more advice, useless Oof. advice for people. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, Barry, it's been amazing to get you on and to uh, to put the world to write some really, really interesting topics in there, talking a little about ESG, your background career, a little bit around digital employee experience, which I thought was very, very interesting too. Thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure. My pleasure. If you can, of course, get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So we're on all of the major platforms. If you just search for HR on the offensive, you can also go to the Lace Partners website. That's lacepartners.co.uk forward slash podcasts. We've also got an insight section. If you are a regular listener, you're probably switched off by now because I think I say this every single week. But uh, we are very thankful that you've joined us. Thank you very much for uh, taking time to listen to us today. On behalf of myself and Barry, we hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you very much. And we will see you next time on the HR on the offensive podcast. Bye-bye.